now let's look at our text here in 1 John, and we'll be in chapter 1 and also looking at chapter 2 as well. Now, many of you know, and I've shared before, uh, that I grew up in a poor working class uh, neighborhood in a, a small town in Indiana. And uh, my house, just to help you understand, was on a street called C Avenue. And our home, our house was about 200 feet away from a railroad track. And uh, our, all the homes on our street were 70, 80 years of age, the largest being maybe 900 square feet. Uh, we, we called them shotgun houses because the saying was you could shoot a shotgun through the front door and go out the back door, just straight through, just like that. And um, so our homes were older. Their homes had no air conditioning. I remember when I got to be a teenager, we could tell who was really making it in our neighborhood because these little units would stick out of their, their, their windows. We said, boy, they're coming along. You know, next thing you know, color TV. Whoa, they really are making it. So with no air conditioning, guess where people went in the evening in warm weather? Out on the front porch front porch. Some of you may have heard of those, okay? <laughs> Attached to the front of house, people actually sat on them, okay? And in warm weather, the whole neighborhood would just come around and you would do visiting on people's front porches. You would sit and talk with your neighbors. You could holler across the narrow, narrow street to your neighbor there. It was, it was community and there were no secrets. I will let you know that with the, the screens, okay? Now, our house, for some reason, seemed to be the center of that. I think it had something to do with my dad and mom, their hospitality. So people would come to our house and they would sit on the front porch and uh, there were several elderly people in our in our community. So I remember, for example, my dad, who was 45 when I was born, he was born in 1911. Our neighbor next door was born in 1902. The neighbor across the street, Bill, was born in 1898. And there were other neighbors who were born in the late 1890s. And so these neighbors would come, they would begin talking, and, and you know what I enjoyed doing? just sitting and listening. First of all, I had to give up my seat because if I did not give up my seat to a neighbor, let me tell you, my mom Eunice would have something to say about that. So you're sitting on the porch, you're listening, I'm listening to people talk. And let me tell you, as I sat there, I picked up on some amazing biographies. I picked up on the joys, the hardships of people over decades. I learned about their happiness. I learned about their heartbreaks. You know what I learned on that sitting on that front porch? I learned a lot of history. I learned about immigration to America because some of them had immigrated to America. I learned about migration from the South up to the Midwest to to get ahead by getting a, a good paying job in one of the factories. I learned about life in America in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. I learned about World War I through people who fought in it and 
lived through it. I learned about the depression and real poverty, deep poverty. I learned about World War II by listening to the greatest generation and all the sacrifices made. I learned about labor relations and I learned about strikes and layoffs. And after my dad came to know the Lord at the age of 52, anytime he had a group of people on the porch, you're going to hear some gospel because he was going to talk about Jesus. And I heard all this and something else I received by sitting there on that porch. And I didn't know I was receiving it, but now I do. I was gaining some wisdom. Wisdom by listening to people older who had experienced life. And over the years, I, I can think now of some of that things I learned, that wisdom. I've tried to live some of that and I've tried to pass on some of that to my children and in some ways to this church family. Job said this, wisdom is with the aged and understanding in the length of days. Wisdom is with the aged and understanding in the length of days. Now, I like that, and I don't like it just because my hair has become a very light shade of blonde, okay, over the year. <laughs> but how we need to understand that. Wisdom is with the aged and understanding with those who've known the length of days. Now, that brings us to 1 John because 1 John, this letter just exudes wisdom because it's flowing from the heart of a very old man. John is maybe in his mid-80s. He could be in his early 90s. He's very old. But guess what? Even though he's very old, he's still very loving. And he's very wise. And so he begins to share this wisdom. And you'll notice in the passage that Mark read for, he's sharing this wisdom for all the generations. He's sharing it for the, the babes. And he's sharing it for the strong men and the, and the fathers. It's for all generations this is being written. And so this morning, what I want us to do is think about this subject as we open up this passage. And that is that we are receiving from John by the Holy Spirit light for every generation. This is light for every generation. Since the first generation of believers to the very last generation that will be alive at the great coming of Christ, this is wisdom for every generation. Now, we need to review here just a little bit as you go through a book study as we are, and some of us, we're getting snapshots from Sunday to Sunday, but sometimes we have to miss. And so we need to just keep the film together, okay? Let's keep the film together. Why was John writing this? And why is it important today? Why is it important for us to be looking at a letter that was written in the late part of the first century? Well, John is an old man, but he wrote for two Reasons. There's two reasons that he wrote, two goals. The first one is he wrote to confront false teaching. He wrote to confront false teaching. That is raging havoc in the church. 
And secondly, he wrote to confirm the faith of true believers. If you look to the last chapter, he says, These things are written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. He's writing to confirm the faith of true believers and confront the false teaching of false teachers and apostates. Now notice... First thing he does, just by way of review, he is exposing and confronting the false light of the Gnostics. The Gnostics, we've talked about them. The Gnostics were a group of teachers who taught that salvation was really a process of enlightenment. That that matter is evil, the spirit is what really is good, and salvation is delivering your spirit into higher levels of enlightenment and awareness. This is what they taught. But what they were actually producing was darkness. They said they were bringing light, but they were bringing darkness. And here is the darkness of Three things the Gnostics denied. Here's what they denied. Basically, these three things we've seen so far. Number one, they denied the Savior. They denied the Savior. Their lie was this. Their lie was they denied that Jesus was fully deity, and they denied his full humanity as well. They said that Jesus was a man, and yes, he was indwelt by the divine spirit of Christ, but he's just a man. He's not fully God, and he's not fully man. He's sort of God in a man. They, so they, they denied the Savior. That was their lie. But here's the light. Here's the truth. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1. Let's just look at it again. That which was from the beginning, referring to Christ. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, we have seen with our eyes. We have looked upon him. We've gazed upon him. And our hands have handled him. The word of life. This life was revealed, was manifested. We have seen at him, we've seen this light. We testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and which was revealed to us. That is the truth. The life is the light giving life of God in Christ. That's the light. That God was in Christ and light and life was in him. And he brought that light and life to those who know him in faith. That's the light. So the Gnostics denied salvation. They also uh, denied the Savior. They also denied salvation. Their lie was this. As I said earlier, salvation is the experience of new knowledge. New knowledge. But the light, the truth is, no, salvation is the experience of the new birth. <laughs> Salvation's not the experience of new knowledge. You must be born again, Jesus said. Salvation is the experience of the new birth. Verse 3, look at chapter 1, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we're proclaiming to you so that you too may have fellowship. What's fellowship? Shared life. 
you may have shared life with us. And indeed, our fellowship, our shared life is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete as you enter into this shared life with us. That's the truth. What is salvation? Salvation is shared life with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you are the only true God. This is eternal life. You, the only true God that people may know you and your son that you've sent, Jesus Christ. That's eternal life. That's eternal life. Then the Gnostics denied sin. They denied sin. Here was the lie. They said sin is the failure to reach your full personal potential through enlightenment. I want to stop right there. Does that sound up to date? Sin is the failure to reach your full personal fulfillment through enlightenment. If you just have more education, you can be all that you can be. You can, you can be liberated to be the person that you were intended to be. That is salvation. When you reach the very epitome of your human potential, that is salvation. That's the old lie. Matter of fact, it was told in the garden to the devil. The devil told it to Adam and Eve. You remember that? You can become as God. What's the light? What's the light about sin? Well, it's harsh light, but here's the harsh light. Sin is a self-deceived walk in darkness. That's what sin is. It's when we are, we are self-deceived about our rebel condition against God, that he's holy and we're not. And we are actively opposing his kingship in our life. And yet we're walking around like we're free. That is sin. It's a self-deceived walk in darkness. Look at verse 6. He said, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we're lying and we don't do the truth. Verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves the truth is not in us. Verse 9, uh, 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 verse 10 rather, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That's harsh light, but that's the harsh light of the reality of sin. You see, folks, before you can accept the good news of the gospel, you've got to understand the bad news of sin and our sin-contaminated life. What's the light? What's the light? Here's the light. <laughs> Isn't this wonderful? Sin can be confessed and forgiven. Now that's heartwarming light, right? Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to bear them away from us, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, wash us clean from what? All unrighteousness. Wow, now that's light for the darkness, isn't it? 
So in chapter 1, elderly John, what's he doing here? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's turning the lights on. He's turning the lights on and he's exposing lies. And folks, let me tell you, the only thing you have to do to expose a lie is just turn the light on. Those, those crawly critters will start heading for the darkness. Just turn the light on. This is light. Now in chapter 2, John's tone changes. His tone changes because he starts giving, like an elderly father, some fatherly lessons. Some fatherly lessons about our Savior. John always takes people back to Jesus. He always takes people back to the king of his heart. And so he gives fatherly lessons about our Savior, and his tone is like an elderly father. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. He says, my little children. <laughs> when you're in your mid-90s, everybody's a child. Now, there's a few people every once in a while around here, they'll see me and they'll say, hello, young man. I'd, I just try to hang out with them some, okay, because I get to hear that so little. And then look at verse 7. He calls them beloved. Beloved, you're dear to me. You're dear to me. Now, notice these fatherly lessons. What are the fatherly lessons he's giving? First of all, it's fatherly lessons about our personal confidence. He wants us to have personal confidence. And guess what? Personal confidence, friends, is never found in your person. <laughs> personal confidence isn't found in your person. Personal confidence is found in the person of Jesus Christ. He is our confidence. And that's what he says. He says, I want you to have confidence about knowing Jesus as the provision for your sin. Jesus as the provision for our sin. Look at verses 1 and 2. Jake shared some about these last week. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. I don't want you to sin, but I recognize like myself, you will sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Notice what he says. Our confidence is in Jesus because Jesus is what? He's our advocate. As much as I mess up and as much as I fail, yet I have someone who stands in the supreme court of heaven. He stands at the right hand of the judge who is his father. And he bears in his body the wounds that he received for my sin. He is my representative. My friend, I want to tell you, that's the one I want standing before me in heaven. How about you? The one who bears in his body the marks of his love. He's your advocate. He represents you. He stands for you. And for God, how do I have confidence? It's not just what he did for me and who he is for me. It, it is who he is to God because of me. He is the propitiation for our sin. That word propitiation means the sacrifice that brings atonement. It, it, it's a, it actually was translating in the 
Old Testament, when it was translated into Greek, we call it the Septuagint, they actually used this word for the mercy seat over the Ark of the Covenant. That Jesus is like the mercy seat. He, he is the place where the blood has been applied between my sins and the broken law of God. And God, in as completely just and holy, he sees the sacrifice of Jesus. His justice has been served. God cannot just forget about sin. You need to understand this, my friend. You need to come to grips with this. God cannot just overlook your sin and still be God. Sin must be punished. My sin, your sin must be punished. But here's the gospel. God has in Christ poured out his justice on his son who was righteous, who took our place. And God has been satisfied. His holiness has been satisfied by the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. God's been propitiated so that he can be just and still be the justifier. Declare everyone who repents and believes in Jesus, he will declare you not guilty and apply to you the righteousness of his son. What a God we serve. Amen. Amen. This is the gospel. An advocate in Jesus who stands for us and a propitiation in Jesus who for God became the atoning sacrifice. Now, he's still speaking as a father. And John says, I want you to understand some things about knowing Jesus and practicing sinning. If you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. You are going to sin. You will sin. But he says something about sinning. A lifestyle of continual sinning. A lifestyle of non-repentance. Notice what he says about that. Verse 3. And by this we know. And the tenses here are very important. By this we are knowing right now, that we have come to know him, perfect tense. In the past, we came to know him, and it's still impacting our lives. I am knowing now that I have come to know him in the past. Why? Because I am keeping his commandments. You see that? Verse 3, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever is keeping his word in him, truly, the love of God has been perfected. That is, it is truly at work in him and has worked in him. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he is abiding in him ought to be walking in the same way in which he walked. Now again, what is John doing here? He's exposing, listen carefully, he's ex exposing the false lies of uh, the false teaching of the Gnostics. Because what did the Gnostics teach? Here's what they taught. Hey, it's all about your spirit. What you do with your body doesn't matter. You, you, you and God just get right with your spirit 
And the body doesn't matter. You can do whatever you want. And my friend, that is complete heresy. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, having saved us, has regenerated us and given us his spirit. He truly lives within us. And that truth works its way out. And no, we're not going to be perfectly sinless. No, we are going to sin. But someone who says, I have come to know him and continues on living as if he has not experienced the life-giving power of God in Christ, there is something desperately wrong. And John says, quite frankly, that's living in deception. That's a lie. You see, John wants us to have true confidence. He wants us to know that we are believers. He wants us to know that we've been born again. He doesn't want anyone to have a false profession that does not demonstrate itself in a life impacted by the power of God. Now notice again, John says, now beloved, verse 7, he says, beloved, I'm writing to you, I'm sharing some things with you about Jesus for your personal confidence. But now he says, let me share with some things with you for your personal consideration. He said, I want you to consider these things. He's going to tell them, tell them and tell us, how do you walk like Jesus? Verse 6, what did he say in verse 6? Look at that. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the way that he walked. Well, how do you do that? How do you walk the way Jesus would have walked? How, how do you actually live WWJD? I mean, how do you know in all these circumstances that are millions, how would you know what you should do? Well, John answers that verse seven. He says, beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you heard. Now, again, he's, he's kind of sticking it to the Gnostics here. They were all about new revelation, new enlightenment. And John says, I got nothing new for you. You've been hearing the same thing from me for seven decades. He says, I don't have anything new. I just have the old commandment that you've heard from the beginning, from the beginning of your journey when you came to know Jesus and for me from the beginning when Jesus met me. This is the same commandment. But then he says, but at the same time, look at verse eight, at the same time, it is a new commandment and I'm writing to you. It's almost like he says, on the other hand, it's a new commandment. I don't have a new commandment for you. It's the old commandment. But on the other hand, it's a new commandment. When I was reading this this week, I couldn't help. I smiled. I, kind of, I could kind of picture John like, uh, like Tevye, Fiddler on the Roof. You familiar with him? The dairy man and Fiddler on the Roof. On the one hand. <laughs> but then on the one hand. But on the one hand. Now, I don't think John knew anything about Fiddler on the Roof, probably, but that, just forget I said that, okay? But 
That was not helpful, probably. But what, what's John talking about? What this is, this is gobbledygook. I don't have anything new to say, just the old commandment. But at the same time, it's, it's a new commandment. What's he talking about? Verse 10 is the answer. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. What is this not new commandment, but old, but yet new? What is it? One word. What's the word? Love. Love. Love is the commandment from the very beginning. What did Jesus say? By this shall all men know that you are truly my disciples. If you what? Have love in your heart one for another. What does the Bible say? Love is a fulfilling of the law. Love is the royal law. But it's ever new. You learned it. When you learn Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's, it's old, but it's ever new. Because he loves me today and he's in me. And his life is in me and his love is in me. And so it's ever new. Look at verse 8. This commandment of love, this truth of love. Verse 8. It is true in him and you. Now you mark that. It's true in him and in you. What's he saying? This is reality. Don't believe the false, so-called, scientific, philosophical beliefs of the Gnostics. It's not real. This is what is real. Love is real. Because love is true in him. It's true in Jesus. And he's in you. And it's true in you. This is reality. Folks, when we're talking about love, we're not talking about floating around on your tiptoes, throwing tulips around. We're not talking about being in a room and some enchanted evening, you get struck by an emotion. We're not talking about, well, you love Pop-Tarts and you love Cheetos too. We're talking about the light of God, the character of God. God is love and love is of God and God is in Christ and Christ is in me. And this is the reality of who I am. That's reality. That is reality. This is real love. And you know what real love does? It really works. It really works because you know what? God works. Where God is, things happen. Yeah. And when God is in your heart and God is love, things happen. Things like what? Things like this. Verse 8. The darkness is passing away. And the true light is already shining. The darkness that was in me. Yeah, it's not all gone, but it's passing away. Love, love is growing in my heart and life. This darkness is passing away. And the, the light of God's love is shining in this world. And yes, the world is still dark. But the reality of God's light and love is coming into people's hearts all over the world. This world cannot overcome the light of the love of Jesus Christ. 
John said, the light shined in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it and cannot overcome it. The light of the love of God cannot be extinguished. It's working. It's powerful. It is changing people's lives. Darkness has not overcome the love of God in Christ. It cannot overcome the love of God in Christ. You may have heard from the, uh, Mark and Leslie, and yes, they, they know some darkness. They, they see the darkness, but they could tell you story after story how the light of the love of God is shining in what we might call a dark region of the world. Friends, let me tell you, all over the world, tens of thousands every week are coming out of the darkness. They're coming into the light of God, and they're knowing his love. The light is shining. We need to get rid of this idea that the darkness is greater than the light. Light is God. And our God has overcome in Christ, and his love is in our hearts. We need to stop, my friends, cursing the darkness. And we need to pray that God will help us to walk out light and love and give us the grace to do that. To walk it out day by day. I love Proverbs 4, 18. It's one of my favorite Proverbs. I love this. But the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. You get that picture? The life of a righteous person, a person made righteous by faith in Christ, their, light begin, their life begins to glimmer with the light like the dawn, and it gets brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter so that it's like the sun in its zenith. And what happens when the life of a righteous person is over, what happens in that moment, that righteous person whose life is shining goes to the place where there is no night and the lamb is the glory. My friends, listen, the Lord wants us to be people not of the twilight, not people overwhelmed by the darkness, but to believe there is a God who is light and love and that God lives in my heart by faith in Jesus Christ and I will, by his grace, live a life of love and light. I believe that. And all the glory goes to him. Love is light and hate is darkness. Verse nine, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Do you see that says, whoever says, go back to chapter one, verses six through 10. If we say, if we say, if we say, if we say, if someone says they're in light, but they hate, they're still in darkness. This is what John is saying. If you hate, if you're a hate-filled person, you're lost. You're lost. Because God is love. God's love is in Christ. And God has shined his love in your heart. And the very essence of salvation is God has poured out his love in our hearts by his Holy Spirit. Love is the expression of salvation. Verse 10 
Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. You know what this means, friends, and I close here. Listen carefully. Love will not only bless others. Love will guide you. Love will guide you. You say, well, how? How does love guide me? How does love guide me? Let me ask the question. See, if we ask the big questions, we get the right answer. What is God's will? People all the time say, I I need to know what's God's will. What's God's will for this? What's God's will for that? What's God's will for this? What's God's will for that? And they want answers to very specific situations. Well, how about we go for the big answer to the big question? What is God's will? God's will is one word, love. Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. That fulfills everything God wants from you. Love God and love your neighbor and then live in freedom. What a great way to live. You don't have to go stumble around about, well, you know, is it tacos tonight or is it chicken? I'm not sure. You know, we got, you know all hung up about these things. How about just love? Let's love God and love others. That is the will of God. And you know what? As you love, you will discern. You you will know where you should go. You won't walk in darkness. Some people are in darkness because they're so self-focused. You see, if you're self-focused, you don't know where you're going or where you should be going. How do you know what God's will is? Others-focused. It's when it dawns on you. You know, I think the Holy Spirit might be saying to me, it's not about me. Wow. You need to to stop right there and have church. Because that's a revelation. It's not about me. It's about him and it's about them. That's God's will. And when it's all about us, and all about our family, and all about our kids, and all about our bank account, and all about what makes us happy, and all about what brings us fulfillment, friends, that is an empty bucket. And it's blinding because the life that you really want to live is a life loving God and loving others. Because that's the reason God put you on this planet. You know why you're here on this planet? You're here on this planet to be loved by God and to love him back. You're here to be loved by God and love him back, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You're here on this planet to love, be loved by God, love him back, and love him forward. Don't pay it forward. Love him forward. Share his love. Why am I here? To be loved by God. And to love him back. And to love him forward. As I live my life. See, love will guide you. But hatred will blind you. Whoever hates his brother, verse 11, is in darkness and walks in darkness. And he doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 
It may be that there are people here this morning. You're sitting here in a well-lit auditorium. You're in church, but you're sitting in the dark. You can't figure out things in your life. It doesn't make sense. You don't know what's going on. Why? Because you're in the dark. Why am I in the dark? Because you're not expressing love. What do you mean? Well, how about that anger that you've held on to and you won't let it go? You're angry and you've been angry and you're just holding on to that angry anger. And guess what? You're blinded. Anger is blinding you. Somebody hurt you. It was painful. But rather going to the grace of God and forgiving you let that poison, and now bitterness is there. And you become bitter, and your bitterness has made you blind. You're sitting in the dark. Life doesn't make sense. Life is, doesn't even have a compass. Why? Because a bitter person doesn't have the compass of love. You're in the darkness because you won't forgive. You won't forgive your father. You won't forgive your mother. You won't forgive your brother. You won't forgive the person at work. You won't forgive the friend that you were so kind to and that friend stabbed you in the back. And you won't forgive. And you're in darkness. But if we walk in, in the light of his grace and we ask for grace to love him as we ought to love him and to love others and to be others focused oh then we walk in the light and we have this to guide us fellowship one with another in Jesus Christ and isn't that a great way to walk